Well, let me read the verse that uh, we'll kind of begin with while you're still standing. David says, One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. And what I would like to speak to you tonight on is the subject of the beauty of the Lord or the beauty of God. Let's just pray once again. Father, we ask that you would show us something of your glory as we look into your word and consider your beauty. We know that it takes a revelation to see the beauty of the Lord. So we ask for your Holy Spirit now to reveal something of this wondrous beauty to us here this evening. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We can be seated. When David wrote those words, I think surely he was thinking of going into the physical temple that was there, or at least the tabernacle, uh, with all the beauty and the artistic work that was involved in the tent of meeting and the robes of the priests and the incense and all that. It meant a great deal to him to be able to go into the temple. But of course, the temple symbolized and represented and was the place that God chose to manifest his presence in a special way. So when he talks about seeing the beauty of the Lord, surely that was part of it, not just the outward trappings, but the inward reality of the presence of God. Now, when we think of these verses, we put them in a different context because we know we're not going into any physical temple. We think of coming into the presence of God through Christ, and we may think also of, of what God has yet for us in heaven where we will behold the beauty of the Lord. So, our understanding of the beauty of God and the beauty of the Lord has to do with our understanding of the Scriptures and what God has revealed to us. But what I'd like to do this evening is to have us consider three manifestations of God's beauty. The first would be the beauty of His nature. That is, the eternal beauty of the Trinity. Second, the beauty in nature. That is, the creation of beauty, his beautiful creation, and then some of the distortion that came by way of sin. And then lastly, which we won't get to this evening, the beauty of his Son, the beauty of Christ, the restorer of beauty. So, the three categories, the beauty of his nature, the beauty in nature, and the beauty of his son. But if we're going to do that, we have to begin with some kind of an understanding of what beauty is. Is there such a thing as beauty? 
In our day, those that deny that there's any objective truth and or any objective goodness also deny that there's any real standard of beauty. They would say in one way or another that beauty is only in the eye of the beholder, which means that there's as many different ideas about beauty as there are people. No objective standard. So I'm not going to spend a long time here trying to refute that idea except to say that beauty is in the eye of the beholder, but the beholder is God. So there is a standard of beauty. There's one standard of beauty, and that is God himself. Beauty must be defined in relationship to God. God himself is the absolutely original pattern for all other beauty. So how do we know what beauty is? The answer is simple. Beauty is what God is. God is beautiful. He is infinitely full of beauty. Just as God is the source of all truth and of all goodness, God is also the source of all beauty. And mankind, you and I, people, being made in the image of God, we are made with the capacity to appreciate and even create, in some sense, create beauty, because we're made in the image of the beautiful one. The biblical account of creation supplies us with the only valid basis for a proper understanding of the origin, existence, function, and explanation of beauty. Animals and machines do not knowingly produce beauty or appreciate beauty. Now, animals can make beautiful things, but they don't knowingly do it. A spider can make a beautiful spider's web, but he's not setting out with a little spider brain thinking, I'm going to design a beautiful web here, make a work of art. But when the spider's done doing what he's done because he's programmed that way by God, he has made something beautiful. But he doesn't knowingly produce beauty or appreciate beauty. But man, as God's image bearer, is both a beauty maker and a beauty appreciator. And unfortunately, because of sin, a beauty distorter. We'll get into that. Beauty was part of human existence from the very beginning. Everything God made, he said, was good, which partly means it was beautiful. But what is now, what is now the reality in the world is often not beautiful. It's not what God originally designed. We must view natural beauty properly or it will become an idolatrous, idolatrous worship of nature. What happens when that takes place is that we exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for the image of corruptible things. We worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is God-blessed forever. Sin is always a beauty distorter. 
sin is always a beauty distorter, a beauty corrupter, a beauty destroyer. In other words, sin always leads to ugliness. Well, that's a little bit of an introduction of just to think about what we're talking about here. Let's consider the ordinary dictionary meaning of beauty. If you look it up, you'll find something like the quality that gives pleasure to the mind or senses and is associated with such properties as harmony, harmony of form or color, excellence of artistry, truthfulness, and originality. Other definitions would say that beauty involves symmetry, harmony, and proportionality, which means how things fit together. So symmetry, harmony, proportionality are some things that are part of what we call beauty. Uh, One man, I think this was Jonathan Edwards, but I'm not sure. Anyway, the quote is, Beauty is a mutual consent and agreement of different things in form, manner, quality, and visible end or design, called by various names of regularity, order, uniformity, symmetry, proportion, and harmony. So... If that's our understanding of beauty, and I know that's somewhat of an abstract definition, but I think it's really important to to think about those those qualities of beauty. Order, symmetry, proportion, harmony, um, and proportionality. I'd like to take those definitions and apply them, first of all, to God's triune nature. That's the first area of beauty. That's the origin of beauty. That is where beauty is found in its concentrated essence, right? In God's nature, his triune nature. We must realize, as we do this, that he does not just fit the definition of beauty, He is the definition of beauty. God is the source and standard of beauty. So again, we said that beauty involves symmetry, harmony, proportionality. And that's what God is like. The unity of the three persons in one God is the source of all created beauty. Now, don't... don't drift off here. I know you've got to think about this. It's something we don't usually think much about, but I want you to think about it. Uh, The unity of the three persons in one God is the source of all created beauty. In him, we see harmonious unity in diversity. In God, there's unity in diversity. Three different persons, yet one God a tri-unity. That's where we get Trinity. Tri-unity. If that were not the case, there would be no beauty. If God wasn't God, there wouldn't be any beauty. 
but God is God, and He's a triune God. Now, I want you to think. If God were only one, there could be no harmony because there would be no diversity to harmonize. Do you see that? If God was only one, there could be no harmony harmony, because there'd be no diversity to harmonize. You're with me, aren't you? Okay. No things, there'd be no fitting of things together, which is what proportionality is, because there'd be nothing to fit together if God was only one. We're talking about a view of God like they have in pantheism. There'd be no symmetry because all would be undifferentiated oneness. Just a oneness. You see, you can have no symmetry in a oneness. There has to be some diversity for there to be symmetry between parts. In a being that is absolutely without any plurality, parts, there can be no excellency, there can be no such thing as agreement between the parts or any harmony. On the other hand, if all is diversity with no unity, again, there's no beauty. Remember that we said beauty is a mutual consent and agreement of different things in form, manner, quality, and visible and or design, called by the various names of regularity, order, uniformity, symmetry, proportion, and harmony. There can be none of these things if diversity is the ultimate reality, because there would be no oneness then if all is diversity. So what we're saying here is that the understanding that God has given us of the fact that he is a triune God is the basis for beauty because beauty is found in the Trinity. There's harmony, proportionality, symmetry in the Godhead itself, and it's always been there. It's not something that just... Beauty didn't just come because God made a creation that had some harmony and symmetry in it. That was part of his very nature. The importance, this is a quote from someone, the importance of Trinitarian theology for the understanding of beauty is that God himself is the infinitely great original of all natural and spiritual harmonies because in the Trinity, three distinct persons share the same divine nature and together constitute one God. So, again, what I'm trying to say is that he is the source and standard of beauty because he is beauty. He is beautiful. He is infinitely full of beauty. His wisdom is beautiful. His power is beautiful. 
His justice is beautiful, his love is beautiful, and every other thing about him is beautiful. It's all in perfect harmony, in perfect proportion. Well, let me quote Jonathan Edwards. He says, For as God is infinitely the greatest being, so he is all so he is allowed to be infinitely the most beautiful and excellent. And all the beauty to be found throughout the whole creation is but the reflection of the diffused beams of that being who hath an infinite fullness of brightness and glory. In God, unity and diversity are both ultimate, you see. Both find their origin in God because God is both three and one. The divine unity and the divine diversity shine through the beauties that we now find in creation. They're a reflection of the, the beauty that is in God. So that leads me then to the next area to consider, and that is the beauty of God in creation. There is in God's creation great beauty. Before the fall, it was all beauty. After the fall, there's still wonderful manifestations of his beauty that remain in his creation. I tend to think that the less man touches, the more beauty there remains. That when we look out into the heavens, which declare the glory of God, there's incredible beauty because we haven't been able to mess it up very much yet. <laughs> the heavens declare the glory of God. Earthly beauty is used by God to reflect something of his divine beauty. And though it's a dim, dim reflection, it still is something of his infinite beauty. Consider the artistry, the symmetry, the harmony, the proportionality of the universe that we see around us. You just open your eyes out into the, the world around us and we see those things of symmetry and harmony and proportionality. Um, Augustine spoke of God as the beauty of all things beautiful. In other words, what he's saying is God's the supreme artist. And because he is what beauty is all about, what he's made reflects something of that beauty. Everything that is beautiful in some way reflects God's artistry. Another man, um, ancient church father, said, Surely the author of all created beauty must himself be the beauty in all beauty. The author of all created beauty must be himself be the beauty in all beauty. We see aspects of God's harmony, regularity, order, and design all around us. And think of if one of the definitions talked about originality. 
Now, who could be more original than God? Uh, all this beauty around us had no pattern or precedent except in the beauty that was in the mind of God. He didn't have anything he was working in front of. If we make something beautiful, usually we've looked at something and designed it after that. Or we take something and try to design it into something beautiful. God made everything from nothing. There was no design he had to go from. It was all in his mind. So all the beauty that we see was first in the mind of God. So that's definitely the ultimate of originality. He's the source and standard of all beauty. Where there is true beauty, there the Spirit of God has somehow worked. And that's true even in man-made beauty. There's a witness of God's beauty in the harmony and the diversity. If there's beauty there, there's harmony and diversity, and that somehow points back to God. You might consider the beauty in the variety of diverse musical notes and diverse musical instruments that work together in a symphony. In a symphony. You've got all these diverse notes uh, and all these instruments playing all these notes, and yet all that diversity is combined together in a unity that makes something beautiful. Well, that points to God, you see. Or consider the beauty in the variety of the diverse colors and textures and materials in a work of art. That harmony in unified diversity is eternally grounded in the triune Godhead. In other words, you look at a painting. Well, if you look at one just little one little part of it, it may not be very impressive because you're just seeing a, a section, part of the diversity. But if you look at the whole thing, you see the unity that the that the artist had in mind. Well, that fact that there's beauty there in that unity and diversity again points us back to the God who is beautiful and has the standard of beauty in Himself. Or just, I was thinking about this today, just consider God's creation of color in general. It's an amazing thing. All the diversity of color that there is. Um, that was a, you know, that was in the mind of God before it was ever created in the physical realm. All these colors. Um, think of a sunset and all the subtle shades of color that are there in a sunset. Now, God could have made everything just black and white, but I think it must be true God enjoys color because he made an endless variety of it. So when we look at the world of color and form that's around us, which God's created, like a beautiful sunset, for instance. We have to say, God's the great painter. He's the great artist. 
when we examine the shape of the mountains and the different forms of animals and plants in the human body, we know that God's the great sculptor. When we read in the scriptures that God surrounds himself with angelic choirs and songs of redeemed saints, and that at the birth of Christ, the angels sang, and at the creation, the stars sang together, and that God has musical instruments for us in heaven. Uh, All these things tell us that uh, God's the great musician. And when we examine the various literary forms in the scriptures, the scriptures that he's inspired, we see poetry and prayer and prose and praise and proclamation. We see many different forms of writing that shows that God is the great poet and writer. So I'm saying that all these areas of, of, of beauty reflect back to God because God is the beautiful one. He's the originator. He's the origin. God is beautiful. He's full of beauty and he's made his creation that way. Now, a lot of what we see today is distorted. That's because of sin. Not everything you look at is beautiful because sin has entered in. But he has made us in his image so that we can enjoy his beauty. And what I want to leave us with this evening is just the fact that there is in each one of us a longing after the beautiful. It's distorted. And we don't, a lot of times, even realize what we're looking for. But it's there. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Weight of Glory, says this. We do not want merely to see beauty, though God knows even that, even that is bounty enough. We want something else which we can hardly put into words to be united with beauty, to see, to pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, to become part of it. There's a longing, you see, that God's put there in us to be one with beauty. I think it's part of that eternity which is in the hearts of mankind. God has put eternity in our hearts. Though most people don't realize it. Deep, deep down we know even in a world where sin has produced much ugliness that this is not the way things should be. We know that. And we also yearn for the reality that uh, he will yet make everything beautiful in its time. Everything isn't beautiful now, but in God's time, everything will be. He'll make everything beautiful in its time. Those thoughts are taken from Ecclesiastes 3.11.
So what I'm saying is that I think there's an unsatisfied longing for beauty in the human heart that only can be filled with the perfect beauty of God. All these manifestations of God's beauty in the world are not enough. They're not sufficient. And in many ways, they're distorted. And we know they're imperfect. That longing can only be filled with the perfect beauty of God, the one who is beautiful beyond description. As John Piper says, God alone is the all-satisfying object of beauty. Well, that brings us then to the beauty of Christ, the one who restores the lost beauty that came because of sin. And that's what we want to take up next time because it's a bigger subject and I couldn't fit it in this message. So, next time, then, the beauty of Christ, the restorer of all beauty. Mm -hmm.